Hey guys, you're listening to episode six of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today, we're going to be answering some listener questions about saving for retirement in the context of a finish line. Just a note before we dive in, when the Finish Line podcast first started, it was originally called the Aspiring to the Median podcast, and you'll hear a number of references throughout this episode. The Aspiring to the Median movement has since evolved into the Finish Line Pledge, and what started as impact groups are now called Finish Line Sprints. Now that we're all on the same page, let's go ahead and get started. guys. Welcome to the show. My name is Keelan Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Cody. Today, we have another Q&A episode where we try to answer questions from our community of listeners about setting a financial finish line. We have a great question today that comes up frequently as people consider setting a financial finish line, and that question is, how does choosing a finish line affect how I save for retirement? As a financial planner, this is right up Cody's alley, and we both have a number of interesting thoughts on the subject. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you guys that everything we do here on the Finish Line team is 100% free and always will be. If you're getting a lot out of this podcast and want to help us get this message to others, the best thing you can do for us right now is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. And with that, let's get started. Hey, Keelan, it's good to be back. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I think we got a pretty interesting episode lined up here. And the question that we're going to be looking at is, how does choosing a finish line affect how I save for retirement? I think that's a great question that is on a lot of people's mind and is one of the first that comes up, you know, when somebody first hears about the idea of a finish line. So since there's a lot to get to within that question, we're going to break that up into a couple different sections here. In the first section, we're going to look at some of the traditional wisdom on saving for retirement. And there's a lot of good information out there. Then we're going to do a quick refresher on what a finish line is and how that whole thing works. And then finally, we're going to get to the core of this question itself. How does a finish line affect saving for retirement? So why don't you kick us off with a little bit of background on just kind of the the traditional wisdom on saving for retirement? Yeah, and this is kind of my department, if you will. I spend a lot of time thinking about retirement planning and That's what I do for a living. I help other people come up with retirement plans. So obviously there's no blanket advice for everyone, but there are some themes that I'll just quickly touch on to give us a foundation for the rest of this episode. The typical advice that pretty much any financial planner would give you is to save as much as you can as early as possible, and that will put you in the best position for retirement. The goal generally is to retire when you want to, and be able to fund your lifestyle throughout retirement without ever running out of money. So the first step is to contribute enough to get the company match if your company does do any kind of matching for retirement contributions to a 401k, for example. That is just free money, and it's an incentive built to get you saving for retirement, and it aligns your interest with the company's interest of being able to get you retired eventually. And that company match basically gives you 
an immediate doubling of your returns as soon as you make it, just because your company is matching every dollar that you put in for 3%, 5%, or whatever your company offers, right? Exactly. So that's always something you want to do from day one if, if you're in the workforce. On top of that, there's a lot of options, a lot of different places where you could put money. The most important thing is to have the discipline and establish the behavior of saving for retirement. So it has to be something that's important to you, and you have to be actively involved and participating in that process of saving for retirement. So step one, start taking advantage of any kind of plan that your company offers. And beyond that, there are a lot of options. You can save in an IRA or a Roth IRA, and different retirement accounts make sense for different people in different situations. The most important step is to start getting money in those accounts and invest it early so that you can take advantage of compound interest over a long period of time. And probably a number of people listening already know the difference between a Roth and a traditional IRA, but do you think you could give like a quick 30-second explanation of the difference between those two and why somebody would choose one or the other? Sure, I think that's a great thing to point out. The main difference between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA is just when the money is taxed. In a traditional IRA, any contributions going in, just like a 401k, will be tax deductible today, meaning you will not pay taxes on those dollars today. So you get a little tax break. And then when you go to use that money, usually in retirement, you pay taxes then. So we call it a tax-deferred account. The Roth IRA is just the complete opposite, where you take money that's already been taxed today, so like money out of your bank account, and you can put it into the Roth IRA, and it's tax-free forever. You will not have to pay taxes on those dollars or any growth in that account when you go to use it in retirement. Whether you choose to use a traditional or Roth IRA really depends on your situation, and there's all kinds of rules and limitations around them. But that's really the most important differentiator between those two. All right, so we have first to contribute to your employer plan up to your company match, whether that's 3%, 4%, 5%, whatever your company is offering, because you just get that immediate 100% return on that investment. And then we have continuing to invest in either a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. So what other kind of typical advice is given by most financial planners? Generally, when looking at how to actually invest the money that you're saving, it all has to do with when you need the money. So if you're really early in your career and you're saving for retirement, you can take more risk. And that over a long period of time, almost always generates more returns. And then as you start to approach retirement, you start to scale back the amount of risks that you're taking so it's more predictable and you're getting ready to produce an income stream that you will live off of during retirement. So, you know, we've talked about the idea of a finish line a lot on this show. And as we've seen in some other areas of personal finance, it does kind of flip things around a lot just in terms of how we think about traditional personal finance wisdom that's out there. So, Before we get into that, I just wanted to refresh everybody on what a finish line actually is. So, you know, and most of the time as somebody's income goes up, their spending tends to go up at least to some degree as well. But when you really think about the idea that everything that we have belongs to God, 
we start to realize that there's only so much we need for ourselves and our family. And so a finish line is the cutoff for how much we need to support ourselves and our families each month. And if God blesses us with any income beyond our finish line, we're able to set it aside and give it away as God leads us. With that in mind, how does retirement look for somebody that has decided to live with a finish line like that? Yeah, the answer to that question is somewhat complex. So I want to present two extremes on the sliding scale for retirement planning, one being what I'll call living on faith, where you don't really worry about saving for retirement with the expectation that God will provide for you. And the opposite being you save as much as you possibly can and you don't spend any unnecessary money because you need to save for retirement in order to be as financially secure as possible. And I think a lot of people fall somewhere in between. Yeah, and I actually know people who are on both complete ends of that spectrum and and certainly lots of people in between somewhere on that line as well. One of the benefits to picking a finish line is that I think it gives you a little bit of a structure in how you kind of approach that spectrum and, and where you land on it in terms of saving for retirement. So if you think about it, especially if you're early on in your career and you're trying to figure out how much you need in retirement, there is a lot of moving variables to consider. And one big one is that you have no idea what lifestyle you're going to be living in retirement. The lifestyle you live as a 25-year-old is likely to be significantly different than what you have become accustomed to and you know the lifestyle that you're used to as a 50, 60-year-old. And so that adds a lot of complexity about knowing how much you'll actually need each year in retirement. One of the benefits to having a finish line is you actually have a little bit of context for what that might look like. So, you know, you and I both have a lot of career left ahead of us and we have both chosen finish lines. And because of that, we can look down the line towards retirement and say, well, I'm not expecting my lifestyle to increase or expand much beyond where I am right now. And so it gives a little bit more of a ballpark for what you'll actually need in retirement. That being said, you do have to answer the question, how many years are you going to be retired? And in order to do that, it depends on two factors. One, when should you retire? And I think we could go on a whole conversation about that question alone and probably will in an upcoming episode. Um, And then the other side of that is, how long am I going to live? And obviously we can't know that, but you can conservatively kind of estimate, you know, kind of the maximum for how long you should expect to live. And so when you have those two numbers, you know, basically, you know, I'm going to be retired for 25 years or 30 years or 15 years or whatever, based on kind of what you're planning down the line. And you know, roughly what kind of a lifestyle you're going to be living at that time. And so that gives you kind of a ballpark target to save for for retirement. And once you know that ballpark, you can backtrack to how much you should be saving today, each month or each year in order to hit that target. Right. And that actually provides a huge benefit of being able to set some kind of expectation for the future, which I think is widely lacking, actually. 
studies show that most people don't have any form of written financial plan whatsoever. And thinking through this exercise really gets you a lot closer to understanding what an appropriate amount is to be saving. So maybe the answer is save as much as you possibly can, but I don't really know that many people that do that. Uh, On the other hand, some of my friends who haven't saved anything yet, I am tempted to encourage them to start putting a little bit away and, and start to build that behavior. But if you can say, this is a lifestyle that I'm perfectly happy with and will be during my working life and into retirement, then like you said, you can get a a ballpark estimate of what it will cost to fund that and then back into, well, how much do you need to save up to fund that lifestyle for, I don't know, let's say 25 or 30 years of retirement. And based on that, you can start to estimate how much do I need to be putting away today and how should I be investing that to put myself in a position to get to that end point. I think that end point is what most people have trouble wrapping their heads around and working with clients who are a year or two years or five years away from retirement, most of them don't have any idea even at that point in their career. So if you have any insight in your 20s, 30s, 40s into what that might look like, that already gives you a leg up and gives you an idea of how you can structure your your budget and start to make decisions about, could I be saving too much for retirement? Do I need to be saving more for retirement? You know, there's always going to be a degree of uncertainty to how much we need to save. And certainly there are those who need to start looking farther down the line towards retirement so that they're not blindsided as they get closer. But there's also, I think, a whole group of people, and I think prior to the finish line and, and aspiring to the median, I would have been in this category too, who can fall into that category of oversaving for retirement. And one passage comes to mind. Uh, I have it here, First Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And I think if you are in that second category, which I I would have placed myself in a couple years ago, then you can make the mistake of putting so much energy into the forward-looking mindset of saving for retirement that you actually miss out on all sorts of opportunities for generosity and, and this rich life that Paul is talking about in this passage. And so I think that's really the balance that we're trying to straddle here is making wise financial decisions now, but also not to an extreme that we're sacrificing the richness of life that God calls us into in this moment. And I experienced this somewhat recently when Steph finished up grad school and went to work full time. And we had a jump in income and for the first time had some margin, which we had to make some decisions with. So above what we were already living on and we were paying our bills and taking care of our basic needs, we had some money that we could allocate to retirement. We could just spend it, 
or we could have chosen to give it away on a regular basis. And just like you're saying, I felt that tension of, uh, as, as a conservative person and as someone who deals with retirement and thinks about retirement on a daily basis, I was tempted to put as much as possible into retirement. But being able to get an estimate of what an appropriate amount might look like and what that might grow into, I was forced to think about the fact that if I put it into my retirement account, it's ultimately still for me to spend later. And that's fine, but there's an opportunity cost of making that decision. I'm not having an impact on anyone else with those dollars today, or really until I have access to it in my 60s, 70s, 80s. And the part that I was unsure about, you talked about uncertainty, the the piece of uncertainty for me is when I have access to that money, will I still use it to impact others? Or will my lifestyle have grown to this much larger cost that I'll need my retirement savings to fund? What we ultimately chose is to do a little bit of both. We allocated a little more to retirement, and we started to support some causes that were really important to us on a monthly basis so that we could start to build a habit or a foundation of giving. And someone in my impact group used a great analogy that I've been using ever since he mentioned it, but he compared giving to developing a muscle. And when you go to the gym and you start working out and you're lifting, let's say, a 20-pound weight, it might be kind of difficult at first. But as you train and as you lift that weight and you start to move up into higher weights, 25 pounds, 30 pounds, it starts to get easier. You start to get used to it and it becomes part of your workout routine. Now, that 20-pound weight still weighs 20 pounds, but it's a whole lot easier to do on week six than it was on week one. And... The analogy compares that to giving in the sense that if you start giving, even a small amount, the more you do it, the more you get used to it, you adapt to it, it becomes part of your routine, and all of a sudden, you're someone who gives money. And that you know, 5 or $10 a month donation suddenly isn't challenging you financially or spiritually in the way that it did before, and you can start to stomach and tolerate a little more and a little more, and you build it up over time. I understood the importance of building that giving muscle, and so I chose to start developing it now rather than hoping that I would allocate the time and the money to do it in retirement when I could quote-unquote afford it. Yeah, that's an awesome analogy, and I, I think that's a really helpful one as people consider kind of the time scale of giving. Should I give now or save and give later? One thing that you brought up is, you know, the fact that you had some extra margin and you were looking between retirement and giving. And I think that's a good point to bring up because, you know, somebody might be listening to this and saying, well, if somebody's already picked a finish line, why are they using any excess towards retirement? And uh, if if you look back to episode four, where we covered the whole idea of how to choose a finish line in the first place. One of the things we said then was to set aside saving for retirement outside of that decision and just really focus on how much do I need to support my family each month, retirement aside. When you or I talk about a finish line 
for our spending, it's money above that finish line that we're actually using to save for retirement. And so you still have this conflict of how much of that excess above my finish line, how much should go towards retirement and how much should I give now? And you can look at that a whole bunch of different ways. You could save a bunch for retirement now and give little and then potentially give more later on. Or you could give a lot and only put a little towards retirement now and have to save more later. And that's where I think what you're saying is really relevant. For some people, they might think, well, that's an easy answer. I should save as much as I can now because of compound interest and everything that you were saying earlier. But I think what you're saying is it's a little more complicated than that. There is some intrinsic value to giving at a significant level now early on. And so it's really a balance between making sure you're saving wisely, but also remembering that giving is an active process that actually changes our brain chemistry. It changes our faith and our relationship with God. And so there's huge value in being a part of that early on in our lives rather than deferring all of that later. Right. And we can think about giving in terms of dollars but it's maybe more appropriate to think of it in terms of impact. So you could save and invest in the compound interest would result in you having more dollars later, which you could give. But what about the compound impact that's missing during that time? So I'll give an example. If I supported a church plant and I donated financially what I had, what I was able to today to support that organization and they start reaching people and and bringing God's lost children home, and those people go out and live incredible lives and reach other people, that's compound impact. So, uh, for someone who focuses so much on compound interest and, and dollars, I had to take a step back and think about, by withholding these dollars, thinking I'm outperforming, what is the true cost of not giving those dollars? And that's how I ultimately came to, I can do both to some degree. So there's a lot of traditional wisdom and kind of little rules of thumb that people throw out there for saving retirement. I know one of those is to save a certain fraction of your income. Uh, 15% of your income is a common number people use. What are your thoughts on using that as a guideline for saving for retirement with a finish line in mind? I understand the desire to have an easy, quick piece of advice for retirement savings because it is so complex and it doesn't necessarily have to be. So if you can just say, I can easily figure out what 15% of my income is, I can put that away from retirement and I can live on the rest. That makes it really simple. But when considering a lifestyle where you have a financial finish line, I'm not so sure it makes sense anymore. And I'll give a couple examples to explain why. But the difference between having a finish line and not having a finish line is whether your lifestyle has anything to do with your income. So typically, and I'm part of this group of people, whatever you make determines what your lifestyle is. So the more you make, the bigger your lifestyle can be. But if you establish a financial finish line and your income keeps increasing, then your lifestyle is no longer directly related to your income. 
But if your retirement savings are still directly related to your income, you might find yourself saving far, far more than you need. And I understand that could be perceived as a good thing. And that's why I talk about the the concept of compound impact, of foregoing impact today to save up for later. In my time as a financial planner, I've come across several households that make half a million to a million and sometimes more every year. So to, to consider that they spend all of that money, whether whether they make a hundred thousand or a million, households generally find a place for every dollar that comes into their household. Some of it goes to retirement savings, some of it's spent, some of it might be given away. But every dollar's got a place it, it's allocated in a budget. To consider saving fifteen percent of let's say a million dollars is $150,000 a year into retirement saving based on you should save 15% of your income for retirement. Now, if that person had established a financial finish line and let's say they live on $90,000 a year, even though they make a million, they lived on $90,000 a year and give away the rest. Now suddenly, based on that 15% figure, they're saving far more than they spend every year for maybe 30 or 40 years of their career. They might be saving $100,000, $150,000 a year and spending less than that. And as you can tell, they're going to have a ton of money saved up for retirement, far more than they could ever spend within a finish line. And all of that money is sitting there on their balance sheet, not really having any impact. And you could even look at the flip side of somebody who has a finish line at a certain level, like maybe they say, you know, 110000 a year or something like that, and they're making less than that. If they're saving a set fraction of their lower income, but they know that their lifestyle and retirement is going to reflect that higher income, then they might even be under saving for retirement. Right. And this adds a layer of complexity when you establish a financial finish line for you and your family. And that's what led us to create a retirement calculator to start presenting this information in terms that make sense if your income isn't directly related to your lifestyle. Another thing that I've noticed in my time as a financial planner working with clients is their level of job satisfaction. And we could do a whole nother episode and probably will on that alone But the point I'm trying to make today for this episode is uh, I talk with people who are in their 50s and sometimes 60s who just say, tell me how soon I can retire. I can't wait to retire. I hate my job. I can't stand to do it another day. Please tell me I can retire soon. And then I also talk to people in their 20s who are saying, I hate my job. I don't want to do this. I want to do anything else. I'm stuck in this job. And I have to wonder if people are going through their entire career feeling that way and if that's appropriate or or even necessary. So if you are working a job that you hate to earn three times more than you need, would you still do it? If you could do something that you love and earn plenty to provide for your family and, and live the lifestyle that you're comfortable with and you're happy with and that you're committed to, wouldn't you do that 10 times out of 10? So these are the kinds of questions that started to occur to me. And if you don't need to max every retirement vehicle available to you, 
it gives you some more options in the way that you can make decisions throughout your career. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think so many of us get caught into the just the endless cycle of career ladder climbing and always chasing that next higher income. And, you know, if you ask 100 people when they will finally be happy with what they have, they'll always just say just a little bit more. But I do just want to acknowledge that there, of course, there are many people out there who don't have a lot of options with their job or their career and, and, you know, to some level just need to have an income to support their family. So there's definitely a whole another side of that for, for people that don't have flexibility. But I think what you're getting at, which is completely right, is that there is a lot of people who make career decisions based significantly on the potential income that's available with those jumps. And that not having to save as much for retirement or not having to spend as much on supporting your family really gives you a lot of freedom and can protect you from that. So I think as we look towards finishing up, there's a couple points that I think people tend to bring up when they think about retirement. One is uh, the idea of wanting to leave a large inheritance for their kids. And I think that's an important point to address. It's probably a whole separate discussion that warrants a, a, a dedicated episode to itself. But just wanted to acknowledge that that question does come up uh, with some frequency. And and then there's another one that comes up a lot, which is I'm planning on doing most of my giving after I die and leaving my money to, to charities or to other kingdom-related causes. And so for now, I'm going to focus on saving and investing. And I'm going to wait for the end of my life to do most of my giving. What would you say to uh, somebody in that bucket? I guess the two thoughts that come to my mind are you don't know when you're going to die and you're not sure that you're still going to feel the way that you do today late in life if you do live a long time. And without developing that giving muscle that I talked about, you're putting yourself in a position to have the best of intentions without the action behind it because you never know what's going to come up and without some kind of framework and intentionality it's really not that hard to call up your estate lawyer and say uh you know what just uh just leave it to the grandkids just leave it to my kids or whatever instead and you will have undone your plan that you set out with the best of intentions yeah there's another verse that comes to mind in luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. And it says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And I think that's an important verse to bring into the conversation anytime we're talking about retirement, because, you know, you could trade out all of these words for for more modern terms and see a whole different context for this passage. Uh, Basically, somebody continuing to invest and fill their retirement accounts with the plan of doing something one day 
And just like in this passage, you know, you could die tomorrow and any of your intentions or whatever good you had hoped to happen is is completely out of your control once you die. And, and I think another point is uh, something that you brought up earlier, which is that giving is like a muscle, you know, giving and generosity have a significant impact on our hearts and on our faith and our ability to trust God and also to be a part of his story, to, to tangibly step into the things that God is already doing financially. And, and that brings us into that story. I know you've shared before how when you started tithing, you had a whole new perspective on your church and, and your partial ownership of of your church and the church's direction. It's just by financially being involved in things, our hearts become involved in them. You know, your tre- where your treasure is, your heart is. And so saving all of that for the end of your life, I think you just write all of that off and miss it all over all those years until then. Yeah, I found that even small steps develop a new outlook on life. So maybe it's setting a finish line somewhere. Maybe it's starting to give to that cause that you you really like, but you haven't really been able to set aside the money to support them in the way that you'd like to. It just opens up your eyes to new opportunities all around you. And trust me, they're, they're everywhere. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back at all the missed opportunities and start to imagine, what if I was paying closer attention to what was going on around me? Yep, and I'd say the same. Well, I think that's about all we can get to for today. Before we finish up, I wanted to share our manager minute for the day. As you might recall, every week we try to share one solid tip or idea for something you can give to right now. We spend all this time talking about finding a financial finish line and setting aside all the excess to use on others or towards God's kingdom. And this is just one practical way to do that. Today's minute is about PTAs, or parent-teacher associations. PTAs are organized and run by parents affiliated with a local school and are often very in tune with the needs of their school. If you have kids, consider supporting your local PTA. They're probably soliciting you for support already. Even if you don't have kids, you can support your community by contributing to the PTA of a local school, especially if the school is struggling in some way. And if you ever have suggestions for what people can be giving to in order to impact the people around them, their communities, or the world, we would love to hear about it. So send us a message. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard on today's show, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Send us any questions you have, and we'll answer them on one of our future episodes. And if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode six. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time. (music) 